Well, hello everyone. God bless you. Good morning. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. We come to you with this broadcast, Gospel Saving Church, on SoundCloud and all over the world, out of my little home in McKinney, Texas, and I want to welcome everybody coming from all over the world. God bless you, and thank you for joining us here today and on our little weekly broadcast, uh, just speaking the truth of God's Word in a day and age where the Word is just not really spoken that much anywhere, unfortunately. Uh, if you guys want to join me in a word of prayer, I'm Pastor Ed Spagnoli. If you guys want to join me in a word of prayer, I'd appreciate it and ask the Lord to bless us this morning and help us to understand what He has to say to us today. Lord God, thank you so much for bringing us here today. Thank you so much for your great wisdom and your great love and your great word, Lord, and your Holy Spirit, of course, Lord. Thank you for all of these things, Lord, and all the many blessings that we each have in our lives, Lord God. I pray that, Lord, we would be thankful for those things in which you have given us in our lives, Lord God. I, th- I pray that we would just not look at, you know, all the wrong in the world and all the terrible in the world, you know, just as our focus, Lord. Because if we start to look at all those evil things and all the terrible things that are going on in our world right now, maybe even some terrible things and situations we have in our lives, Lord, then we'll become depressed and we'll become useless for you. But Lord, if we keep our eyes fixed on Christ... Lord, and if you help us, Lord, to keep our minds on heavenly things and on what's next, Lord, instead of on this, all this horrible, terrible things we got going on in our world, Lord, we can be useful for you, Lord God. And remember that this is just a temporary place. There's a better place we're going and there's better promises awaiting for us, Lord, and, and, and a place with no sin and no pain and no death that awaits us and that we're working for that, Lord. We're working for you, Lord, for your kingdom. Not for perishable things, Lord, but for imperishable things. Lord, we thank you so much. We ask you to bless this service and help us to understand your word today, Lord, by your spirit, Lord, because we know that we can only understand your word by your Holy Spirit. And we ask you, Lord, to prepare our hearts and help us, Lord God. Help us not only to hear the things that you say, Lord God, but help us to do the things which you say. For we know it is not the hearer of your word that is blessed, but it is the doer of your word that is blessed. We love you and we praise you and we thank you, Lord God. And we ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 4, verse 12 through 21 today, verses 12 through 21 today. And uh, we're going to do my thoughts from last week's message. But if you guys want to turn to 1 John chapter 4, verses 12 to 21, you could be there for when I start reading it. Uh, my thoughts from last week's message first, though, God is love. So last week, John told us that whoever loves is born of God and knows God because God is love. And I compiled that all from verses 7 and 8 instead of just reading them verbatim over to you again. So I talked about how this love is the one main defining trait or characteristic of a true Christian. Because God is love and a truly born again person has God living within them which changes their character and makes them more like God. Because, you know, he is love, and therefore if he's love and he's in us, we're going to be loving. And praise God for that, because I was a heathen and an evil person about 21 years ago, or about, for about 21 years of my life. Before Jesus Christ came into me, I couldn't even love. I couldn't love myself. I couldn't love anybody. I couldn't love anything, except for sin, of course. But then after Christ came into my heart and made it his home, I realized what true love really was. And I started loving others for God came in me and he is love. Praise God. I'm so thankful that he did. Now off of that awesome subject for a moment, just for a little while here, I got to address some more of a major topic that I didn't cover last week that need to be covered today. I just wanted to address this also idea that that comes out of verses 7 and 8. If we were to just take verses 7 and 8, which say, in a sense, whoever loves is born of God and knows God because God is love, and we were to make a whole Christian doctrine or teaching out of them, you know, those words alone, what kind of teaching do you think that we would be able to come up with? Well, you could, and I'm sure somebody has, come up with a very dangerous, false, and anti-Christ or anti-Bible teaching. You may be thinking, well, what? How can that be? Those were John's words. Well, here's how. From these two verses only, 
not taking the rest of what John wrote and the whole of what you know God wrote in the New Testament through his authors, you could say that everyone you meet that is loving at all, you know, they, they show you a kind thing and, or they do something loving or they say some loving words to you, whoever that may be, despite their opposing religious beliefs, Let's say that they were a Hindu or a Muslim or a, even an atheist. I've known some really loving atheists or, or some, some Satanists. I mean, I've, you know, some people out there that are Satanists. And I was looking over that this week, actually, as preparation for the, what I was going to talk on. It uh, didn't work out, but they're actually which I was supposed to be kind to those that are kind to them back. So if they're loving and despite their willful lifestyle, are all of those people saved and knowing God and born again, because John said, if you just take those words, whoever loves is born of God. Wow. But translating these two verses and coming up with this doctrine is a problem. Because according to what John wrote in this epistle and what the Bible says as a whole, it's impossible that a Satanist or that a Muslim or that a Hindu be saved in the state that they are, which they believe what they do. The Bible teaches that someone can only know God, as John refers to here, and be born again by putting their faith and trust in Christ fully, confessing Him and surrendering to Him and making Him the Lord of their lives. And then after that should be coming sanctification, becoming more like God, living more of a holy lifestyle, being more Christ-like. And no matter how sincerely loving an atheist or agnostic or Buddhist or Hindu or Muslim or Mormon or Jehovah Witness or any other antichrist religious person or non-religious person may be, according to the Bible as a whole, they cannot be born again or saved and know God in the state of practicing their false and antichrist ways and their antichrist and false beliefs. For unless they seek God and he brings them to repentance from their false beliefs of him, because everybody has a belief of God. Even an atheist doesn't believe in God. They still, you know, you understand, they're an atheist. They don't believe in a God. God is even in the equation there. They may say, well, there's not a God. Well, why do you have to even talk about it if there's no God? Why do you have, why do you have to say, I just don't believe in him? Why don't you just say nothing? Right? But so there's everybody has a belief of God. And until you seek God, until He brings you to repentance because He sees that you're seeking Him and you surrender your life to Christ, nobody can be saved and know God and be born again. Nobody. Christians, it's a dangerous thing to just take one or two verses of God's Word and make a whole doctrine out of them. This is how, this is not how anybody is supposed to interpret the Bible at all. A good doctrine of God's word needs to come from the Bible as a whole and be tested up against all scripture to see if it lines up with all that God and Jesus Christ taught. If it doesn't, it's a false teaching, just like whoever's loving, period, the end, despite any other thing that they believe, is saved. That is an anti-Bible, anti-Christ teaching period the end you could even go so far as to say hey if i'm loving i'm saved right you could just even negate god all the way out of the picture if you just take that you know that sentence that verse what john said hey whoever loves is born of god is saved basically you could say hey i'm loving therefore you know whatever god there is hey i'm loving i'm saved and that's not what the bible's message is so christians beware how you interpret the bible and beware how you even listen to people that are interpreting the bible to you you need to be careful and read the word for yourself and see is what this guy is teaching because it should be a guy you're listening to as the bible says in a church setting men are supposed to be the pastors which is another apostate thing we got going on in our world today is this whatever this teacher this guy teacher's teaching me about god's word is it what God's word really says or is it not? All right, well, praise God. That's enough on that. Let's get into our new sermon today. Um, our new message today is entitled, or titled, Being Born Again is Awesome. Being Born Again is Awesome. 1 John chapter 4, verses 12 through 21. Let's read it over. And let's see what God has to say to us today. John says, 
No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, there's another statement here we could take across if we wanted to. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. Another test of knowing God, you could say. And we have known and believed that the love that God has for us, God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so we are in this world. There is no fear in love, Perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, how can he love God, whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Well, that's a lot, but I promise I won't be that long. My notes aren't that lengthy today. We're going to lump some things together. John starts off right there in verse 12 telling us, No one has seen God at any time. And that is correct. No one, and I repeat, no human being in the flesh has seen God at any time. Moses who was, if, if we were talking about godly men in the Bible, there'd be like Abraham, Moses, Elijah, you know, Jesus Christ, of course, he was God, David, King David, you know, Paul, Saul to Paul, you know, these would be like the most holy guys in all the Bible. Like, there's more, but I'm just kind of like naming off the top. And even Moses, who was one of God's most awesome and holy chosen men, that he called to serve him. Moses asked in Exodus 33, 18 through 20, he says, please show me your glory. He wanted to see God. And he actually heard God's voice. Like today, mostly people just hear God speaking to them kind of in a spiritual sense. We, you know, we see a vision maybe I, I have, or maybe we'll hear something in our spirit or soul, you know, and hear something. Oh, and then we test it. Oh, that was God. You know, boom, that was God. God spoke to me. But Moses heard God's voice went into the tabernacle and kind of the the presence, right? God's presence would kind of come down on on the ark and then God would speak with Moses like a friend would, you know. And then even Moses says, please show me your glory. Then he, God said, I will make my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you and I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious and I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face. For no man shall see me and live. God said the same thing. No man can see me no, in your flesh and you, you can't live. Has Jesus Christ seen God? Because, you know, I, I, sometimes I like to get legalistic, so I kind of got a little legalistic here for a moment. Has Jesus Christ seen God because he was in the flesh? Well, of course, but he's not just anybody. He's God, and he was with God in the beginning, right? So there, we, we got that one out. And isn't Jesus Christ God Almighty also, for, you know, Jesus is God. And since, you know, people have seen Jesus, doesn't it make what John says here a contradiction? No, not quite. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, but he's God's son. John is referring to God Almighty in this section. So, No human being, period, the end, at any time has ever seen God. That's what John said. So what point is John making to us when he's telling us this simple fact? No person has seen God at any time. Well, funny enough, to that answer, he actually doesn't make the point until verse 20, which is quite a few verses from here. And before that, he even uh, makes that point. He goes on this long tangent about love and confessing to know the Lord or confessing Jesus as God's son. So before we get too far in our message, no one has seen God at any time. That doesn't really kind of, just kind of stuck out there. And if we don't get the answer right away, we'll probably forget that by the end of the sermon. So I want to knock it out today before we get to his tangent. And I'm just going to skip ahead, read verse 20 
for the answer or, or the why to, why did John say, for no one has seen God at any time? Look to verse 20, and then I'm going to be doing 21 too. Verse 20 says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. That's kind of harsh words. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? See the whole parallel there? John says, hey, no one's seen God at any time. Hey, how can you love your, How can you say you love God when you don't love your brother? His point to writing verse 12 is since no one's seen God at any time and someone says they have love for God, so this would be a Christian, somebody who loves Jesus Christ, right? A God whom they have not seen, but have hated or have hatred for their brother or sister in Christ. How can they really love God whom they have not seen? The answer is they can't. That's why John says there, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. You can't say you have love for God, but hate your brother who's brother in Christ and still really love God. So if you say you're a Christian... And that you love God whom you've never seen, but you have hatred for a brother or sister in Christ and you, you practice that. I mean, everybody may have a passing hatred, hating thought or something or, oh, I hate what that person did or, oh, I can't believe what that guy did to me. And then they don't forgive, and they, but they live in that hatred, right? They really can't love God. You can't be a true Christian. Very good point. Very well spoken, as John puts it here. Along with that good point, John writes a conclusion statement to the whole idea in verse 21. He says, in this commandment, this would be a command, something God said, you must do this, Christian. We have from him, and we know that to come from Jesus Christ, that he who loves God must love his brother also. So a commandment from the Lord, something that God says you must do, Christian, and I'll add you must do this, you must love true born-again believers, and that means you put all your differences aside and truly and sacrificially love other born-again believers because if you truly love God whom you can't see, you must love his kids also for you can see them. And this here, God is love, we must love him, and then we must love those who belong to him as well. A commandment from God. So now that we have that question answer out of the way, we kind of like got the top and the bottom of our messages or our, our verses knocked out today. Now that we got that out of the way, let's look at the rest of verse 12 and see what else John has to say to us today. Rest of verse 12, he says this. If we love one another, God abides or lives in us and his love has been perfected in us. So if a person really does truly love other Christians, truly born-again people, this is a proof, John is saying here, that God is living in them. And we can say also that if a person who says they're a Christian truly loves other true Christians, this truly proves God's reality too. How would you say, how could this prove God's reality? Well, if you truly love someone of another, just you say spiritual belief, and you truly love them, I mean truly and sacrificially, not just by word, mind you, but this is truly by action and by deed, what this does is this proves God's reality because you only do this, number one, as a Christian, because God told you to do this. That's number one. But there's another reason too. And, and since you can't see him, People around you going, oh, these guys love one another. How, why do they love one another? They don't got this guy's that this guy's that color. This guy's that color. This guy's from that background. This guy's from that that background. And you say, well, we love one another because God told us to love one another. So the, the idea that you're willing to obey a God whom you can't see is proof to somebody who doesn't know God that God is real. But number two, you love them because that love should be naturally in you as a Christian, as a born-again person, because God is love, God's love is in you, and then that love for other Christians should be coming out of you. And when people say that, and you say, oh, I just love them, people say, wow, well, that's amazing. Really, you love them because you just have love. Yeah, I'm just loving. God came into me, and now I can love, and I can't tell you how many times I've said that to people. I used to hate, as I mentioned earlier in my view, and now I love, and the only difference is, is I turn to Christ. I turned to Christ, he came into me, and I'm a different person, and I love now. So, again, if a Christian or a person really loves other Christians, sacrificially, this is a proof that God is living within them. So now, 
I've taught you and established the fact to you already that the Bible teaches that real Christians should love everyone, right? We talked about that before. Jesus talked about it. Jesus gave parables. Christians are supposed to be loving towards everyone. And I've already taught you that Jesus Christ commanded in John, in, John, in the Gospel of John 13, 34, that all truly saved people should love one another, meaning other saved people, as John told us here also. And John just told us here that if we save people, true Christians, love other true Christians, this is a sign that God is truly living inside of us, a proof that we have truly been born again. And this means that his love has been perfected within us. You see, God loves everyone, but that doesn't mean that he abides or lives in everyone. And everyone is saved or born again. But when a person responds to his calling, he comes into them and saves them from eternal death and slavery to sin and fills them with his love by his spirit. Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3.17, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where God's spirit is, there's freedom to love. There's freedom to live. There's freedom to enjoy yourself. There's freedom to be happy. There's freedom in all these things if the spirit of the Lord, wherever I should say, the spirit of the Lord is, and that would be including in us. If you are a truly saved person, you should have love for other true Christians. And this being born again business is awesome. And again, although no one has seen God at any time, when his love comes in you and you can truly love others, especially other Christians, this is also a proof that God is real to others. Give you an example. When I first got saved, I was a heathen, evil person, and and then I, I was full of hate, right? And then when Christ came into me, I got filled with love and compassion because Christ came inside of me and I became new. And all those who knew me knew, hey, there's something different about this guy. Wow, and th- this God must be real because how did this evil dude who you know was this mean and hateful and, and, and just murderously rageful person turn in now he's all loving? And then I'd say, oh, it's because of Jesus. That was a proof of God to them. Look what else John writes about this truly being born again with this new love in verse 13. He says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. John again is referencing God and Christ coming inside a person at salvation. But of course, God doesn't, and Jesus Christ literally don't come inside the person like God Almighty uh, who's ruler of all the universe, the being of God doesn't come in, in, inside of you. you. You'd explode. You could never fit God in you. So how does God and how does Christ come inside of you? Well, they put their Holy Spirit, the triune third part of God, inside of you because that's God's essence. That's God's character, God's Holy Spirit. And that's how they come into somebody at the time when somebody surrenders and the time that somebody starts getting saved. And of course, how does someone know if they have God's Holy Spirit living within them? John and the Apostle Paul, Apostle Paul write about this new life. Skip down, if you would, from 12 to 17 to 19. First here for John, he says, love, love has been perfected in us that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Well, why may we have boldness in the day of judgment? He says, because you're going to see a change in you. Look at what he says. Because As he is, meaning as God is, the essence of God, the way God is, God's ways, God's, you know, the way God says to live, so are we in this world. So, because the Holy Spirit comes inside a believer, the Holy Spirit, as I referenced earlier, kind of moves us toward what we call, the Bible calls sanctification. That means moves us towards a more holy life. Moves the person that's saved toward a more loving life. Moves a saved person towards talking about Jesus more. And, 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 and just being like God. Doing the things that God would do. Living the ways that God says to live. Doing the things that God says to do. And John says, because as he is, so are we in this world. We've changed from the elemental you know, uh, service to the... To, things of the world to now a new life of changing to serve God, 
to love God, to make our lives more about God. So as he is, so we are in this world. It's a new life. Verses 18 and 19, he says also about this new life that there's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. As a born-again person, fear will no longer be your dominating characteristic. I remember before I was saved, I was afraid about everything. I mean, as far as like nobody knew really, but I feared lots of things inside of me. I feared death. I feared consequences at my job. I feared, I feared this, feared that. I feared all kinds of questions. Usually it was because I did something bad and then I would fear because I knew I did something wrong and I'd be afraid, but then I'd still do it because yeah, it felt good to live in that sin, but I was always in fear. But here, perfect love casts out all fear. If you're born again, Fear is not the dominating characteristic of a born-again person. A born-again person will truly love God back for he first loved us. See, we don't, nobody loves God first. God loved first. And then, as I said earlier, those who seek God, once he saves you, you will love him back. Not, but not because he didn't love you first. He'll love you first, and then you will love him back as a born-again person. So no fear and love will be powerful traits of a born-again person. Paul writes about this new life of a born-again person in 2 Corinthians 5.17. He says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, meaning he's born again, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. God's spirit in a person means they get a new life attitude, a new heart condition, a new way of looking at everything in this life. And, and, and in the next, really, too, and a new way of living life, as John just said, a, a life like God on this earth. And a powerful trait of a born-again person that they are not afraid of death. They just supernaturally know that once their bodies die in this life, as I do, I will be with Christ when I die. Sometimes I get a little afraid about how I'm going to die. I think, is ISIS going to come to America? Are they going to chop my head off? Are they? And then, but once I think about that sweet release of after death, whether my head's cut off or, or whether I'm shot to death or whether I'm hung or whether they drown me or whatever, I think of that sweet release. Oh, I'm going to be in the arms of Jesus. For the Bible says, it's appointed for man to die once and then the judgment. And, and for wherever the Lord is, there we shall be also. So wherever God is, that's where I'm going to be in life or in death. To be absent from the body is to be in the presence of the Lord. So a born again person, no more fear of death. When someone becomes saved, Bible says that they are bought by the blood of Christ. And you could say that since they are purchased, God signs his signature on their hearts with his Holy Spirit to seal the deal. Get it? Isn't that right? Isn't that cool? Because the Bible says that once somebody's saved, they get sealed by the Holy Spirit. This changed new life is truly incredible and an experience that I would that everybody in the whole world could be a part of this. When I was first saved and even today, I remember when I was first saved the first time, the kind of when it was first and it was fresh. I remember when God first saved me, it was like this pure and perfect love just flowed through my veins for the first time. And I could truly love others, especially Christians, for the first time ever. Before God's Holy Spirit came into me, what I thought was love was really not love at all. It was bitterness and it was hatred and it was resentment and it was anger and I was always angry and I was always mean and but being born again brought love into my life and brought kindness into my life and brought compassion into my life, even still to this day. Being born again is truly amazing, a definite life-changing event. Hate to switch gears for a moment, but John gives us a little aside. Look at verse 14, but he has a reason for it. He says this, And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. So we disciples, speaking about the disciples, have seen and testify that God the Father has sent Jesus Christ into the world. What does John do? John gives us some personal testimony of his relationship with Jesus Christ. Remember, please, John was an actual first-hand witness to the last three and a half years of Jesus' life. He was there at the cross when Christ died. 
And he was one of the first to see Jesus after he resurrected. He didn't just hear about Christ from a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend who thought they knew kind of what happened. No, he was front row and center, firsthand knowing Christ, firsthand eyewitness. And I've said before, there's nothing stronger and more powerful than a firsthand eyewitness account of whatever it may be. But why did John tell us that? Why did John give us this aside? Look at what he says. He makes his next major point here. Verse 15, he says, whoever confesses or says, speaks that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him or lives in them, so is born again. So whoever confesses Jesus is God's son is born again. That's what he's saying. And that person that says that, that professes that, he is in God. That means that the person is living in God and in his ways. So remember again, just recapping, he, John, I witnessed the first three and a half years of the life of Christ. He was witnessed Christ's death and he was one of the first ones to see Jesus after he resurrected. And he just said here that he heard whom Jesus Christ proclaimed that he was, which is God's son. And along with that, which would be the Christ or savior of the whole world. I've talked about that before. And John is telling us here that everyone that also confesses that Jesus Christ is who he said he was, God's son, and who John said that he was, is a truly born again person and a true child of God. Look at this on this topic, what Jesus and Paul had to say. Paul, 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says, no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? No revelation given that Jesus is Lord is given outside of it coming from God, from God's Holy Spirit. And remember Matthew 16, when Jesus had that interaction with Peter and he said, Peter, who do men say that I am? And Peter kind of went on, oh, some say this and some say that. And then Jesus said, but who, you, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter says this, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And you may think, oh yeah, Peter knew it. He saw it. No, that isn't how he knew it. Jesus says next, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father in heaven. What is he saying? He's saying that no one can even know that he's the Christ or the Son of God or the Savior of the world unless God's Holy Spirit speaks it to them. So only by that revelation from God's Holy Spirit Can anyone even proclaim these things about Jesus Christ? And John says here is that that another true mark of a truly born-again person is that they will confess Jesus is God's Son. Now, as exciting as that is, because I'm sure that probably I don't even know how many people on the earth believe that, I have to give you a warning about this verse. A, A little unfortunate, little unfortunate warnings, kind of sad thing about this verse. This verse as a standalone verse interpretation, how we just kind of covered in our overview about last week, whoever loves is born of God, right? And that means that we could say, hey, anybody that loves period, the end is saved, even though hey, they're Buddhist or a Hindu or whatever. And we know that's not what the Bible teaches. Well, here in this verse here, we have the same kind of thing. It's kind of sticky. Can we really say 100% that anyone that just makes the statement or confession of the simple words, I believe Jesus is God's son, is truly saved, born again, having God's Holy Spirit really living within them? Well, I will say, on my own life even, and on the Bibles I put my hand on right now, that that is not a true statement, standalone on its own from the Bible, just that verse. The profession or confession that Jesus is God's son does not make someone truly born again and truly saved. But why? If that's what John just said, why is that not true? That is what he said. But there are other verses in the Bible to consider because it's not what the Bible says in totality. The Bible in totality does not say that all someone has to do is proclaim Jesus as God's son and then boom, just magically they're saved. And I'll say no, not only because the Bible says no, but because I know lots of people that confess that Jesus is God's son, but they are not really saved. 
they're not really born again. And the way I know this is because their other beliefs about Jesus Christ, the God, God Almighty, and the Bible are completely contradictory to what the Bible teaches. And we're not just talking about, well, I'm having a, a, you know, a, a difference of opinion of what one scripture means. I'm talking about major fundamental Bible things. People that profess that Jesus is God's son will say, no, that's not true. And let me give you some for instances, okay? For instance, John did not say that this confession of Jesus is God's son was the only characteristic or belief that defined a born-again person, did he? He didn't. In this section alone, he even said, confession of Jesus is God's son and those whom love, right? How come he didn't combine them together? Well, John had a certain writing style. And you had to know John, you had to know a certain writing style. This was not John. John was not saying here that just because somebody says, oh, Jesus is God's son, boom, they're into the kingdom of heaven, that they're saved. Because again, I know a lot of people, and they're not saved, and they confess Jesus is God's son. John is not saying here that if someone confesses Jesus is God's son, but also denies that he's the Christ, Savior of the whole world, then they're still born again, Right? We know Jesus proclaimed himself to be the Christ, the Savior of the whole world. Well, what if somebody proclaims Jesus as God's son, but then says, oh, he's not the Savior of the whole world. You know how people get saved if they're Buddhist or if they're Hindu? You know, the whole, the whole emergence that we got right now of the whole all religions are one thing. Well, all those people that believe in all those religions are one thing. They all believe Jesus is God's son because they believe Christianity is one way. Well, they also believe that there's a way to heaven from Buddhism. And then there's a way to heaven, you know, Hinduism. There's a way to heaven in, in, in Islam. There's a way to heaven, heaven in whatever, right? They're all, that's okay, right? But then that's not right. That's not what the Bible teaches. But there are people who deny that Jesus is the Christ and they think that they're saved and they're headed to heaven, but they're not. They believe he's God's son, but he's not the Christ. It's crazy. Other examples. People believe that Jesus is God's son, but they also believe that Jesus is the brother of Satan. The Mormons believe that. And we know the Bible says that Jesus Christ is not the brother of Satan. He's God. He's God incarnate in the flesh. God made everything. Satan is a created being of God, of Jesus. How can Jesus Christ, God, be the brother of Satan? So even though they believe, I went on a Mormon website even this morning, and they're bold right on there. It's like they stole the words right off of a real Orthodox Christian website. We believe that Jesus is God's son, and he's the Savior of the whole world. But they don't tell you right there, oh, we also believe that Jesus Christ is Satan's brother. Oh, but they still believe he's God's son. So a standalone interpretation of this verse would say, well, they're saved. But yet they believe Antichrist Bible teachings. No salvation. I'm sorry. They also, there's people that confess Jesus is God's son, but also believe that you can be saved by your good works or that you have to be saved through him by your good works. I'm sorry. That is not what the Bible says. For if it's by grace, then it's not of works. So even though you may confess that Jesus Christ is God's son, but you have to work your way to heaven, you're not saved because that's not the Bible's message on salvation. Confess, let's say you confess Jesus Christ as God's son, but you also worship other false gods. Or, and, and you believe and profess other religions and confess their gods are real. Oh, the God of Hind- gods of Hinduism, they're all right. Oh, the gods of Islam, they're all right. Well, I, but I believe in Jesus Christ as God's son. Eh. Sorry, Bible says you're not saved. That's just no way. Uh, let's say you confess Jesus Christ as God's son, but you also live in perpetual sin. You practice sin. You're in the club on Saturday night and in the church on Sunday morning. A lot of Baptists do that. A lot of people that profess Baptist, Baptists do that. What if you profess Jesus Christ as God's son, but you're, but you're hanging out with strippers and hookers and, and you're getting drunk and stoned and high all the time? Hey, Jesus Christ is God's son. Well, the Bible says sanctification. If you're really saved, then you're going to be being more like God. We just covered it in our scripture today. <clears throat> Buzzer, no born again, no saved. What if you profess Jesus Christ as God's son, but yet you say God is the flying spaghetti monster? That is an actual thing, believe it or not. You look it up on the website yourself, on the internet. Flying spaghetti monster, and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger all the time. Eh, Sorry, you can't be born again and believe God is the flying spaghetti monster. Are you kidding me? 
What if you confess Jesus Christ as God's son, but also worship Satan? Or let's say you, you're a demon and you believe Jesus Christ is God's son. Are you saved and are you born again because you believe Jesus Christ is God's son? If you're a demon or if you worship Satan, eh, sorry, there's no salvation there. James talks about this idea, 2.19, you believe there's one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and they tremble. So just a profession of Jesus Christ as God's son does not save anybody. And that's not how John intended that to be. My point, John did not say that just because a person makes the single confession or profession of the single belief that Jesus Christ is God's son means that they're born again no matter what else they confess, profess, or believe. To interpret this verse or to say that if someone confesses this is by standalone is an ignorant anti-Bible, anti-Christ statement. It's erroneous and it's, it's totally off base and it's not be true. Get out of that place. If they're teaching you that, that is not what the Bible teaches. What is John saying then? If he's not saying that this standalone one belief idea would save anybody here, he's just simply saying that a truly saved person will confess that Jesus is truly God's son. And of course, with this confession, the Bible says, again, that a truly born-again person will also believe, confess, profess all the things that Jesus Christ and the Bible teaches are true, period, then. Not adding or subtracting their own special hidden beliefs that change anything that the Bible says to make it more a wall. That's what, that's what special revelation gave to us. That's not what saves somebody. That's not what a saved Born again person does. Moving on. I know that was a bit long, but it was necessary because there's a large majority of so-called Christian denominations which operate under all of most of these false other ways yet believe that Jesus Christ is God's son. As I said, the Mormons, and and I didn't add this one, but the Jehovah Witnesses, they believe that Jesus Christ is God's Son too. Again, I went on their website and it says the same thing. They both believe in God's Son, yet... Jehovah Witnesses also believe that Jesus Christ is a created being, that he's not God Almighty incarnate in the flesh. They they take Bible scriptures and they twist them and they make up a special doctrine that doesn't accord with the doctrine of godliness and the doctrine that the Bible teaches as a whole. The Catholic faith, I've taught about this before, teaches that Jesus Christ is God's son, but he's not the Christ, the only Savior of the world to all People, they believe if you've never heard of Jesus, hey, if you have a true intent in your heart and you love a God whom you know, whoever that is, hey, God's going to save you. And that is an anti-Christ Bible teaching. Jesus Christ said, I came that all, or, I'm sorry, John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no man comes to the Father but through me. He didn't say, well, if you've never heard of me, well, then you can just go believe in, you know, the flying spaghetti monster. And hey, as long as you believe in that God with earnesty, you'll you'll be saved. That's an anti-Christ teaching. The Church of Christ literally believes that you have to be baptized with water to be saved, which is a work and yet there's no works to be saved. The Seventh-day Adventists teach, teach that you must keep the Sabbath to be saved. Again, it, it's, it's a saved, it's a, it's a works-based salvation. The, the Baptists teach a, a Calvinist doctrine which believes that God is some monster. Hey, own Jesus Christ only came to earth to die for some people. He didn't die for the whole world. He didn't die for everybody. Oh, he only died for some. These are all heresies. These are all antichrist teachings. Yet these people believe Jesus is God's son. I could go on and on and on on this point, but I think you get the picture. Just because someone may confess Jesus is God's son doesn't make them born again, doesn't make them truly saved. Look at verse 16, last verse of the day. John says this, and we know and, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. John just given us some personal testimony again of who he and the disciples knew the living God, Jesus Christ to be. 
Also there he says, again, God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. John repeats, us, uh, repeats to us the true character and nature of God, love, and he repeats us again the other true major characteristic of a true child of God, which is also love. Again, for if God is living in somebody, then they're going to be loving. And I do believe now that this is like the seventh or eighth time now that John has brought this up in this epistle. John is, is called the apostle of love, by the way, which this is now you know why. He, he brings this up all the time. So our title, Being Born Again is Awesome. And so I believe the main subject that God wanted me to talk about today was about being born again. In this section, John gave us some more characteristics of what it means for a person to be born again. And again, I will say, because I am born again today, that being born again, having God's Holy Spirit living inside of me is awesome. And as I said earlier, I would that everybody in the whole world would also have God's Holy Spirit living inside of them because it is awesome. But now, as I do almost in every sermon, I must do again today. It's self-examination time. For everyone, I believe, must examine themselves and where they're at with Christ if they care about what God cares about and where he will send them for their eternity. You make your choice, but then God makes the final, hey, this is what he chose, this is where he's going. God gave us that choice. He gave us that right to choose whom we'll serve, him or ourselves or the world. But then he has the final, hey, oh, he chose that, he's going there, oh, oh, he chose to love me, oh, I'm going to save him. So today, I must ask you, according to the characteristics that John in the Bible gave us today, are you born again? Do you have God's Spirit, the Spirit of freedom, living inside of you, or don't you? Freedom to love. Freedom to live, freedom to love God, to live in the ways of God. The freedom and the desire and the the ability to live in the ways that God lived and Jesus Christ lived. Jesus Christ said in John 3, 3, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So do you have this new life, the life given by God living inside of you? Just recapping some things I talked about today. God's Holy Spirit living inside of you, bringing you this new life, causes you to have true sacrificial love for other true born-again people. You enjoy being around other Bible-believing Christians. I love it at my jobs when I meet a true born-again saved person. I just know it. There's like this supernatural connection I feel with this person. And as we're talking, it's just like awesome. I, we're talking, it's godly, and let's talk about God, and let's talk, we're talking about how, you know, what God did in our lives and what God's doing in our lives, and it's just like, I just, I just love it. It's just absolutely, it's a connection that I, it doesn't, I don't know where it comes from. I mean, I know where it comes from, but it doesn't come from anything physical. It's a supernatural, holy, awesome connection that I have with this person, man or woman or child, it doesn't matter. And, and there's just always love in between us. That's one thing, a a Holy Spirit loving Christian or a Christian that is saved with the Holy Spirit of God living in them is going to experience. Uh, Another thing, there's no fear in death and where you go after you die because you know, you just know supernaturally as a Christian, hey, when I die, I'm going to be in the arms of Jesus. And when you think about death, it doesn't give you any fear anymore. You just think after all, Man, I know death, yeah, that's a bummer, but hey, oh man, then Jesus. And you just get this, oh man, praise God, I can't wait actually. I don't want to see morbid, but as a Christian, it's hard to live in this life because of all the sin and all the things in the world. And a lot of times when I think about death, I even tell God, God, I can't wait to meet you. I'm actually telling God, God, I can't wait until I die. Wow, isn't that something? People long to keep their lives. I, I can't wait for the time. I'm not going to rush it along by my own hand, but I can't wait, me personally, for the time when I get to go meet Jesus face to face and I do get to see his face. That's another trait of being born again. Another trait. You, you look at life and the things of life in a godly, new, and, and different way. A way that God looks at them. Your life, again, another one, your life in Christ 
resembles the way that Christ lived. You, you're, you're focused and you're concerned about your holiness in your life. Not, not again, now not to be saved, but because, hey, God's living in you and he's love and he's holiness and he's, he doesn't just let his children just wander off into sin and just practicing sin all the time. So you're living like Christ lived, as John told us today here. A holiness, which is absence from sin. In your ways, you're living like Christ. In your way you love, you're loving like Christ. In your compassion, you're compassionate toward others in Christ. I've done miracles. Maybe you've done some miracles. I've laid my hands on some people and some healings have been done. I'm a light for Christ. Wherever I am, I'm, Jesus is coming out. I'm just talking about Jesus where I go to places. And, I, you know, Jesus and say, hey, he's my Lord. And who, I believe I'm a firm believer that whoever you love the most, that's who you're going to bring up. That's who you're going to talk about. So Christ is the way he lived and how he talked about God. That's going to be you. Again, not because you have to, to be saved, but because God's spirit within you compels you because you are born again. Another trait we didn't cover today. You have a was now testimony. Hey, I used to be this guy. I used to be this evil dude. I used to be this hateful. I used to be self-centered. I used to be whatever. I used to be whatever. I used to be whatever, all ungodly. And now, man, God saved me. Now I love Jesus. Now I want to do the things that I want to read God's word. I want to have communication with God. Man, I want to love people. That's my was now. Everybody that's born again should have a was now. Because if you're a new creation, as Paul said, then that means that you're new in everything. You're new in your mind. You're new in your heart. You're new in everything. Okay, you should have a was now testimony. How about this test? Something we didn't talk about today. Does your naturally born again person have the fruits of the spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians 5, 22-24? John says, or I'm sorry, Paul says this. But the fruit of the spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience or long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Do those things seem to be flowing from you? He, he says this again, such there's no law. And, and again, the life that God would live, as, as John said today, and Paul says, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You're not living for the sin anymore. You're still going to sin. Sure, everybody sins. But you're not living for the sin anymore. You're not slave to the sin anymore. Is that you? And most importantly, do you believe and confess Jesus Christ as Lord, God's Son, Savior of the world, the Christ, and are you putting your full hope and trust in Him daily, walking by faith? solely trusting in the Lord because you know there's no way I can please God on my own. Do all these things that the Bible says about a born-again person sound like who you are today? Because you are truly born again, not because you're trying to work your way to salvation. Or don't they? There's a difference. If you're trying to work all these things so that you can get saved, well, that's an apostate Christian faith. That's not the Bible. The Bible says that salvation is by grace through faith, not by salvation is grace through you working for it and getting saved. Do these things that the Bible talks about a born-again person sound like you or not? If so, praise God, I hope you continue in your faith in Christ until death or He returns without wavering, without and continuing to grow and mature in him day by day, continuing to do his will, walking with him like a fellow named Enoch did in the Old Testament. The Bible says Enoch walked with God. It means he relied on God. He walked with God. And then he was no more. Please continue, if this is you, to seek the Lord, to grow in him, to love him and to follow him all the rest of the days of your life and to grow in His Word, and to find out what He wants you to do, and to do it more, and to do it with more zeal, and to do it with more fire, and more power. Ask God, God, I want to serve you with more power, with more love, with more, 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 more of you, and less of me. That's a born-again person, if that's you. But if not, and these characteristics don't describe you, or you're trying to practice all these things so that you can be saved, then there's a huge problem. Being born again, these things will happen. 
And if you're struggling to do them, then God's Spirit will give you a little nudge to practice them. But it, but it won't be so that you can get saved or that you hope that you'll gain eternal life. It will be because God's Spirit's living within you and you're going to feel like doing them or, or you're going to be prompted to by this amazing, awesome, loving, supernatural force that wants you to live these ways. There's a big difference. If you're listening to me today and these characteristics don't apply to you, please don't be deceived. The Bible says that you're not saved and you're not born again. What must you do to be saved? If you have an open heart, please don't turn me off. Please don't say, well, that's not true, Pastor. Well, I'm just reading you the Bible. I'm just telling you what the Bible says it means to be born again. That's all I'm doing. But if you want to be saved, and you care about what God wants for you, you care about where God wants to send you, because He wants to bring you to home to be with Him. He doesn't want to send you to hell. He wants to bring you to be with Him. This is how, then, You get saved. You turn with all that's within you with your heart today. And you cry out to Jesus Christ. And you ask Him to truly save you. And you ask Him to truly make you born again. Jesus, please. I'm I'm not saved. I see that I'm not. Jesus Christ, please save me. I'm turning to you. Please, I need your Holy Spirit. I want to be born again. Please save me. And you surrender your whole self unto him. And if you belong to one of those religions that I mentioned today, get out of that place right away. Because Bible doesn't teach all those nasty things about Jesus Christ and you. Jesus said this, outside of religion, outside of what man thinks, Jesus taught this, Matthew 10, 39. He who finds his life will lose it. If you want to find your life, if you want to live your life right now, for you, you're going to lose your eternal life. Sure, you can gain your earthly life now. Hey, you can live all you want for you. You know, man, you live up the sin and live up the work and you think your way's working to God and you can, but Jesus just said, you will lose your eternal life. But he says, and he says here, he who loses his life for my sake will find it. If you lose your life for Christ, meaning in Christ, surrendering it in him. Hey, he's calling me. Jesus, I need you. God, I want to be saved. I want to be yours. I've walked my path my whole life. I'm done with this. I I need you now. I'm ready for you. And he'll save you if you seek him, if you'll cry out to him. And then you'll lose your life to him and in him and you'll find your eternal life. God loves you so very, very much. And his desire is to have communion with you. That means that his desire is to fellowship with you and to share his love with you and for you to receive it. I said it already today in the sermon, but God loves everybody. But just because God loves everybody doesn't mean everybody's saved. You have to respond to God's calling. You have to respond to God reaching out to you and you have to turn to him and you have to surrender. You have to lay your heart down at the cross. And you have to say, Jesus, I need you. Please save me. I'm tired of living my life for me. I'm ready for a new path. I'm ready for your path. Please save me. I believe in you, Jesus. You are God's son. I confess you and I repent of my sins. Please Come into me and live in me. And I want to live in you. And if you do that, then God will save you. And you will be born again if you earnestly meant it. And God knows if you earnestly meant it. If you're truly ready to turn to Him. And you're truly ready to surrender everything to Him. Please do. God's waiting for you right now. He's calling out to you. Knocking on the door of your heart. Please come to me, my son, my daughter. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your message. Lord, thank you so much, Lord God, for the opportunity that you've given me to be born again. Lord God, thank you so much for the opportunity that you give everybody, Lord, to be born again. 
I pray, dear God, right now for those listening to this message, Lord God, that they would turn. Lord God, if anybody that's not born again, maybe they were deceived. Maybe they've never known you at all, Lord God. Lord God, you love them so much. I pray, dear God, that you're just working on their hearts right now with your Holy Spirit. And that, Lord God, that they're just going to fall down on their face right now and cry out to Jesus Christ. And they're going to turn to you and they're going to surrender to you and they're going to fall in love with you. Because you first love them. Get them, Lord God. Don't let them take another step. Don't let them take another breath, Lord God, without surrendering to you, without coming to you, without being born again, without getting saved. Please, Lord. And I thank you, Lord God, that I am born again. I am yours. And for all those listening out there that do love you and that are living for you and that as you are, so are they in this world. And I pray they would continue and not ever falter. I love you and I praise you and I thank you, dear God in heaven. I ask these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.